Hello, it is 9.30 a.m. in New York, 4.30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. So I was at a parent-teacher conference, and at the end... The teacher said, hey, if you have a flexible schedule, would you be interested in coming into the class and reading with the students? My son glanced over at me with laser eyes. I knew he was not super in favor of this idea. We walk out and he instantly says, mom, do not come to my class and read. And I realized that he's at this age where he's embarrassed to have his mom at school. But what if your mom works at school? What if she's a teacher? What if she's your teacher? Or she's even worse, your friend's teacher? This is the reality for kids of international school parents, what today's guest calls EdKids. It is my pleasure to welcome the author of Third Culture Kids, Children of International School Educators, Dr. Etty Zilber. Dr. Etty, welcome to Expat Happy Hour. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I had to chuckle at your little anecdote about your son. <laughs> that was lovely. <laughs> I know I'm not alone. I really hope I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no. And that does happen uh, quite frequently with children of uh, educators in the international school. And uh, there are quite a few anecdotes uh, that I got in my research from those children who are now um, adults looking back at their uh, at their education and their childhood, uh, living under the same roof uh, where their parents work. This is such so- an important topic. So let me tell the audience more about you because you bring with you immense experience. So Dr. Eddie Silber has lived and worked overseas for the major part of her life. Is a veteran. American and international school educator. She served at schools in six countries, including the U.S., Israel, Guatemala, Spain, China, and Singapore. And this topic, Third Culture Kids and Global Nomads, is close to her heart because both personally and professionally, she's been involved in teaching and raising children, her own three children across the world, and engaging with thousands more in her roles as an educator and a speaker. Not only that, she has really groundbreaking research, which is a result of this book, about the impact that this family and school paradigm has with international school educators and their children. And I know it's received acclaim from around the world. So it's so great to have you here and for you to share your wisdom with us. Tell us why ed kids need to be talked about. Why did you write this book? Um, interestingly, uh, when I was doing my doctoral studies, uh, I, we all had to choose a, a topic for research. 
and I was having some difficulty honing down on uh, on a topic of importance. I wanted it to be important. And one day at lunch, one of my colleagues and classmates said to me, um, you know, my wife and I are thinking of having children uh, uh, as we're teaching overseas. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing to have children uh, while you're an educator in the school? And the the little light bulb went off in my head and I said, that's the topic. Mm. (laughs) That's the topic. Because it is a very important question. And uh, particularly for those who um, who want to go overseas with children uh, and for those who are overseas and are considering having a family. Mm. And um, and of course, the element of the third culture kid, which was of great interest to me as well, entered into the picture uh, that's part and parcel of the experience. So, um, so I, I realized at that moment, you know, this, this, this is an important topic and I started to delve into it and, uh, actually learned a lot more than I bargained for, um, <laughs> about this, uh, unique, I call it the unique, uh, family paradigm, mm-hmm. uh, because you really don't have any other families that live in this kind of world. Uh, so therefore, it is very unique. Right. So, for example, families that are traveling around the world for corporate or foreign service don't necessarily have their mom or dad in their close proximity all day long in their professional role. Right. It's this interesting dynamic exactly. that the international school system mm-hmm. has to offer. And I'll tell you, as an outsider, um, I am not an international school teacher, obviously, but I'm a parent of kids that go to an international school. And what I've noticed is it's interesting in, um, let's say, hardship posts or small communities with a small expat base, you become friends with the international school teachers because you're a small community, right? So now your kids exactly. are in school being taught by your friends, which I get it exactly. from the outsider perspective, right? How that's interesting. I cannot imagine what the teachers are navigating um, in that context as well as the kids. So tell us a little bit more about what you discovered in the research that surprised you. Um. Well, first of all, in my research, I interviewed um, third culture kids who I subsequently named Ed Kids after they were already adults. Uh, so they were all out of the house. That was uh, those were the requirements of my uh, the limitations of my research. They were already out of the home, reflecting back on their their childhood, and uh, so they were older mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, they were very, very keen to talk about it or write about it because I interviewed them through email, which gave me reams and reams of data. Um, they were very keen to talk about it because nobody ever really um, looked into their status. And uh, when I give presentations uh, at various conferences internationally, uh, invariably there is a teacher in the audience who um, was a, an ed kid, and they come up to me 
very often with tears in their eyes saying, gee, I wish I knew this when I was growing up, or I wish my parents knew this when I was growing up. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a bad experience. Au contraire, as they say. Uh, on the contrary, it, is, it was an excellent experience in most cases. But there, uh, they always talk about certain moments that were very uncomfortable for either the parents, the kids, the other teachers, uh, the kids' friends, so um, had they known some of these guidelines that I recommend, um, they would have, they felt they would have had an easier time. Mm-hmm. And so that's the objective of my research is to understand the paradigm, understand the beauty and the wonderful um, environment that uh, the international school offers to this family unit. And also to minimize some of the angst. Okay, so here's the thing. We've got people listening who are parents and international school teachers. We've got people who are listening who are parents whose kids are in international schools, but they're not the teacher. They're just regular parents. We've got um, probably parents who are listening that whose kids are going to an international school, but they're not, they're from the host culture. So I want to talk about what should each group know? What do we know? What should we know that we don't know, right? Or what should we recognize that we might be ignoring? Let's start with the teachers at the international school, whether they're the parent or not. What do we need to know? Well, the teachers need to know, uh, first of all, that this is an important topic for everybody, whether they have kids in the school or not. Many times when I give presentations, I, I give the statistics of that particular school to, uh, to show that typically, uh, universally, there's about 5 to 6% of the teachers might have children in the school. So you would say, oh, that's not a big number. Uh, why is this so? Mm-hmm. Who cares? You know, why is this important? Well, when I ask everybody who comes in contact with children of educators, almost everybody in the audience raises their hand because they all have contact with a student at some point in their uh, in their working day or working week. So it is important for everybody to understand what is going on uh, within the life of the, the, the student themselves, what is going on with the parent who is your colleague, who is the, um, an, uh, an employee of the school. So basically, I, I try to explain that um, the difficulties come with what I call trespassing, mm-hmm. When you are trespassing your role or the role that you're expected mm. to play, and this is the um, this is the 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 challenge in this environment. Everybody's got a role in society, uh, based on uh, the family. The children have their role in school. The parents have their role at work. You have your role in the community, whether it's with your expat community or your church or uh, synagogue community. Everybody has a role. What happens under the roof of the international school, sometimes these roles mm, get blurred. I can understand that. And mm-hmm. this seepage, this seepage from one role into the other role, that's when problems And I can, can say as a parent, like when it comes to mm-hmm. my kids, 
I could become a rabid tiger in about three seconds, right? <laughs> that when you're Absolutely. trying to um, protect your kids, it, it it's like you're blind to other things. So I can imagine how hard that is for the educator to stay in their role when the rabid tiger parent wants to attack. Yeah, and add to that, if the rabid tiger parent is also a friend in the mm -hmm. community. Right, so stakes are high. You see, you're, you're a friend of that teacher because you know the internet, like you said earlier, the international school community, uh, parents, teachers, students, the administrators, they're, they become surrogate yeah. family. And the kids, when I interviewed them, they talked about other educators in the school as literally like aunts yeah. and uncles. These are, and they remain in touch with them forever afterwards. It's, it's an amazing dynamic and you have to, you have to understand that dynamic, but when something gets, goes wrong, it goes wrong yeah, in a big so way. So what advice do you have? Um, Cause this is, can you give us a scenario? Tell us a situation that usually happens when something goes wrong and then what they can do about it. Well, um, I don't want to only stress the negative because when we stress the negatives, it makes the whole the whole uh, paradigm sound like it's a negative, and that's not the outcome of my research. In fact, uh, just to show what a positive experience it is on the kids, my research showed that uh, 30% of the children of international school educators become educators mm -hmm. in their career. That is unheard of in any other field. So um, following, sort of following in your family footsteps. And, uh, and that's, that yeah. is a, a compliment, yeah. I would say, that if the child thinks that the parent's career was valuable and important mm -hmm. and worthwhile, they will then choose a career like that. And many of them do go overseas as well. Yeah. So I don't want everybody to think that this is, uh, you know, only negative. But we want the Not juicy stuff. We want the juicy uh, stuff. Many, many <laughs> we want to, we want we're already we want enjoying the, the positive stuff. We want to know what we can do better so it doesn't go wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So imagine this uh, scenario. Um, you are a parent and uh, you become very, very friendly with one of the teachers, which is very common. And, you know, very often you, you celebrate holidays together and you celebrate birthdays together. You go on, tra you travel together with the children. I mean, this is really more mm -hmm. than family, mm -hmm. uh, quite frankly. Then you see each other every day at school. Um, you drive together in the morning. Uh, you might even carpool in the morning to school and back home after school. Uh, but perhaps your child is having some difficulties, either academic difficulties or behavioral difficulties, and, uh, and you are the, the, the parent educator in the school, and uh, your friend is your child's teacher, and you feel that um, uh, that friend is not doing the best they can for your child. Now, under ordinary circumstances, like you said, you're the, you know, the tiger mother. You go right in there and you tell mm -hmm. it like it is. Well, if, if you are the international school educator, you have to think 10 times before you go in and tell it like it is. 
and speak out or complain uh, because at the end of the day, these are your colleagues and this is your place of employment. Right. And you're navigating well. your parental and role, so, your friendship, your employment status. Exactly. I, yeah. That's exactly I, what's happening. And what happened? No, I'm just saying yeah, I'm, oh, I'm struck right now because I'm thinking back to some of our good friends in Wagadugu that were uh, teachers. And I, I have, um, I've always respected them. And after we've talked and I know more about your research, I have an elevated respect for them on how they were able to navigate that. And I feel like we don't do enough to give those educators uh, credit for all that they navigate. Absolutely, absolutely. Whether whether you have children right. in the school or not, uh, this is a very unique role in that, uh, well, you think about it here back home, wherever home is for you, teacher goes to work, does their job and goes home mm-hmm. and has another life. Here, the life is intertwined with the work. It's intertwined Mm -hmm. with the family. It's intertwined with the sponsoring group. The school now is your sponsoring group. So it's all very, very, um, uh, it can easily be mixed up. And uh, that's where I call the trespassing uh, of the roles. And you hit it on the head when you mentioned the roles, because in society, we each have a role. And typically those roles are separate, but these roles are not separate here. So, for example, um, everybody in the audience always laughs. An audience of educators laughs when I bring up this um, topic. The head of school, who is your employer, uh, your boss, uh, your supervisor, uh, or the or one of the principals has a child oh, in no. your class. Oh no! Hmm. <laughs> okay, and everybody. All I have to say is that, and everybody in the mm-hmm. audience starts to chuckle, especially if the head of school has a kid in the school. Mm-hmm. Everybody looks over at the head of school, you know, or they don't yeah, look; they look right. down at the ground, right? And if that child is you know, doing well academically and there are no major behavioral issues, you know, everything is good and uh, and, and that's the way it should be. Um, but if there is a, a, some kind of a problem, everybody totally. is in an awkward position. Totally. It's kind of like the pastor's school. daughter. I don't know if that, stere- if that stereotype crosses exactly. culture, exactly. but the pastor's the daughter is always the wildest girl. <laughs> Exactly. This is, well, that's not, you know, necessarily true, but let's say it is true. Well, here you are, you've got the, the kid in your class. Um, you have to have a parent teacher meeting with your boss and you have to figure out how to navigate this because on the one hand, you're the teacher, but on the other hand, you're sitting there with your boss. I have so much respect for that. That is, I mean, let's all just pause for a second and respect the teachers who have to navigate that every day. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's sort of um, yeah. but there's other a worst-case scenario. What if but they're the ambassador of your country or they're the head of a huge corporate sponsor that sponsors something for the school soccer team, right? There's a lot of stickiness that can be happening, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now... 
there have been other things. And this is, uh, you know, again, I interviewed the kids as adults. I interviewed educators on their perspective on this. And I also interviewed counselors to triangulate some of this data. And they pretty much all align with their stories. It's mm. it's quite amazing. Uh, here and there, there are some uh, outliers where kids uh, mentioned certain things. But uh, one of the issues that the kids had with their own parents was uh, the issue of not going for bat mm. to bat for their child. Now you said you would run in there like a you know like a, a an aggressive mother fighting for their little <laughs> bear cub, right? Um, the teacher, uh, the teacher parent might not be able to do it knowing full well their child oh, is right. Let's so say hard. if there was a fight or let's say the child didn't do well on a test and the, the parent sees the test and mm-hmm. says, eh, right. this is a test, you know, and, but they're not going to go in and fight because they are in the back of their mind. They're saying, how will I be perceived? by my colleagues how will i be perceived by my um right and then what does that mean when my kid goes to the next grade and i have that perception right it's almost like if they don't want to go back to bat for their kids they feel like they're failing their kids but maybe they're also protecting them because of the next they're going to be in grade three next year and that's going to be that parent there right that's that's so hard i have so much respect that's right so much respect so that's right yeah so mm -hmm. these things can happen uh on the downside um, the, the other, the other, you know, I, I could give a million anecdotes because I had about, uh, 20, <laughs> 20 tons of information from, from all of the, uh, the stakeholders in this, but, uh, the kids feel that they are very, very visible now on the, you know, the, the good side, everything, everything that uh, I found had the flip side, there, there's yeah. the good side, the benefits, and then you flip it over and it can become a negative. For example, um, the kids of, it's very well known who the kid of, mm-hmm. you know, Sunday who if the, is a teacher at the school. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Sunday's kid. And you know that. And it's wonderful. And you everybody says hello and they take care of you. And if you're not feeling well, somebody is there to take care of you. It's a very, very loving right. environment very, um, the the kids remember it very fondly as everybody took care of them. Well, I was going to say, what it makes me think about is this sort of the general paradox of expat life, that the advantages of expat life and the benefits of expat life also have a flip side, right? And we have to hold both at the same time. That's right. And you, you know, you want to embrace the good and mitigate some of the bad things. And that's why people do training. That's why I come into a school and I develop uh, programs to help mitigate the bad things. Now, um, not all the bad things are visible to everybody. Uh, What do you think is like the, the biggest secret that you share? Like what is like the insider information that you have that people go, Oh, I never thought of that. Uh, 
the the I think the trespassing of roles is the big the big thing. And what I do to to emphasize uh, and help mitigate some of the challenges is I literally bring different hats uh, to my presentations, to my workshops. And I put on and when I as soon as I pull out the hats, everybody gets it. So Mm -hmm. you put on one hat. That's your parent hat. Then you change hats. That's your educator hat. Then you change hats, and now it's your colleague hat. And you change hats, and now it's your um, employee hat, uh, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You get it. And how do you make that? How do you do that though in real life, like in your communication? I uh, I tell them to put on a hat, or if they can't physically put on a hat, then joke about it say i'm putting on my educator hat now so being I'm transparent on my mm-hmm. parent hat so for example if you have a parent teacher conference and you are the principal you are a, a boss or even a board member mm-hmm. board members fall into this category too right um and you're coming for parent teacher conference the first thing you should do obviously you know you might not put on a hat but you would say Literally, uh, I am I am here wearing my parent hat. Mm-hmm. So that's supposed to help the teacher on the other side of the table mm-hmm. uh, relax a bit and think, okay, this is a parent like any other parent. Now, yeah. that's really hard to do when it's your boss sitting opposite mm-hmm. you. And that's why I highly recommend that the boss send in their um, partner. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead. Great strategy. So I'm hearing, just pulling out two things here for the audience. I am hearing to be transparent about you, the role that you're speaking from and yes. uh, make that clear. So it's not mixed. I'm hearing if you are the one, like the, the one who has power over the, the individual and you're right. a, in the parent role, you can send your spouse. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off. Um, yes. Those are great strategies. What are some other best practices? And and that could be for the educator. It could be for someone like me, a parent um, who just sends their kid into an international school, or it could be even for the kids. What are some other best practices that we should know? Well, uh, another example, one of the things that the kids really felt strongly about is, um, okay, so jo- Johnny just had a math exam. Oh, and Johnny just uh, blew it. I mean, it, it, he failed the math exam, okay? Johnny's mother is uh, Mary, and Mary is good friends with the math teacher. Mm-hmm. So before Johnny even gets home to tell his parents, mm, I just failed my math exam, uh, the colleague finds Mary in the hall and says, oh, by the way, did you know that Johnny just failed his math exam? Mm. So two things happen now. Number one, Johnny never gets a chance to tell his parents himself that he failed his math exam. Mm. Number two, the colleague now has to go into her work room, which is her classroom, and teach her class being upset now that she was told that her son just failed the math exam in the hallway. Now, that doesn't happen to other parents. You usually have to wait, if not the same night at home, 
then you know the next few days when you discover that your child you know did something wrong or failed a test but here <laughs> the parent knows before the child even has a chance to tell them and the kids go ballistic on this because there's no privacy no for privacy. these kids. And I'm also hearing no a trespassing of roles because the teacher exactly. moved from teacher role to friend role. And that is confusing for the relationship. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And the reverse also can happen, you know, and this can be a positive because teachers in the school, um, you have contact almost every day with your child's teacher. Well, that's a good thing because you know how things are going for your child. I mean, you don't have to wait for a parent-teacher conference to find out how your child is doing in school. You can very informally in the teacher's lounge or over lunch, you know, you might be chatting about your child. Now, is that a good thing? Not necessarily, but it's very um, uh, helpful sometimes to keep tabs on your child. And educators are highly connected to their children and they know exactly what's happening with their children uh, unlike other parents who don't see their kid all day long. So this can work both ways. So the good is you have a lot of communication with the parent with the teacher with your child's teacher but then the flip side is over communication. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be hearing this stuff in the hallways um uh, during your work day, mm -hmm. you should be hearing it from your child when he comes home from school. Right. So this is the uh, you know another example of the flip of the the good and the uh, once you trespass, it becomes um, an uh, an anxiety producing moment. I would feel if I was a child, I would feel I was monitored. Yes, they, that's how they, they call it the fishbowl. Everything that happens to them is known by everybody else. And, uh, and that's, and sometimes very personal things. Imagine if your two parents are working at the school and then there's a divorce and this has been known to happen. Everybody in the school knows about it. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Yeah, that's hard. And uh, so, so it's it's difficult. Uh, another example. You wanted some other juicy ones. Another <laughs> example for you know it works the opposite direction sometimes. Um, excuse me. Regular parents, uh, when it comes time, let's say for the school play or uh, awards for MVP for sports. Um, if the award or the, the, the main role, the leading role in the school play is given to the child of an educator, bingo, there's this suspicion. Mm-hmm. Nepotism mm -hmm. here. Oh, favoritism here. There's, there's a feeling of suspicion. So what happens sometimes for the educators themselves, they will purposefully not um, give their own child those opportunities. Wow. And this, wow. is, this has come out with administrators, for example. Uh, let's say the principal's child is an outstanding singer or actor for the school play. They might not get the lead role. They might give them the second or another role. Uh, MVP award came up for sports. 
So the child of the educator, no, sorry, the chi- he was also a coach. So he was a principal and a coach. And he didn't want people to be suspicious that, you know, maybe this was favoritism. And his son actually deserved the MVP award. so painful. But he gave it in parallel to with another kid so that it wouldn't look like favoritism. So it works against them, too. It is. It is. And that's what the kids remember. And actually, that came from... An educator himself, he told me this story with great pain in his voice because he knew that he gypped mm-hmm. his kid. And uh, But he had that inner conflict between what will the community think, what is my role in the school, what's best for my child. There's a conflict. So this doesn't happen to regular parents. Right. So what I'm, what I'm, it's making a connection for me. Um, I'm thinking of the interview I did with Sanao Tanu about hidden identities. And we talked about how minority identities and majority identities are playing out in international schools as they are on the global field, right? We are not immune to these dynamics. And now we're looking at another layer, you know, one deeper on the professional level and the role level, things that are going on that we don't see. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for your research because it helps us see things that are there, but are hidden until we look at the research. So I think that's an incredible contribution for the international school community. Um, and those of us who are part of it. There's, I know that our time is limited, but there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about before we go, and that's about the kids who are participating in international schools but are from the host country. How mm-hmm. is that a unique experience in the international school system? Well, it, actually, uh, it's becoming less and less unique because more and more international schools are opening worldwide. When I started in this world, uh, there were about 1,500 international schools worldwide. Uh, right now, we're coming close to 9,000 international schools. And mm-hmm. what's driving that is the host country population. So more and more of our international schools are right now or will be uh, populated by um, host country nationals Mm. because they're the ones who are driving the enrollment. They're the ones that are pushing the market to open more schools. So that's one uh, characteristic that has changed. So to find a school that is majority international people is is going to change. It is going to change. Uh, the paradigm we used to see where it was, uh, you know, 85, some schools even had quotas. They don't have quotas anymore because they have to also pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um Some schools had quotas, and so you would have, let's say, uh, 80% foreign nationals, and you would uh, allow admissions for maybe 20%. So uh, those those statistics are changing. But why does it matter? Why does it matter for the kids? Well, uh, if, if you've got the majority, for example, in China, many of the schools um, might have Chinese nationals um, as the majority of the population. 
Um, in Korea, for example, many of the schools have a Korean majority population. So now who's the majority and who's the minority? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it flips because sometimes you have, um, um, you're working with a foreign curriculum, you're working with uh, teachers who have been recruited and, and brought over from other countries and uh, so, so it's it's not the same as it used to be in some of the international schools. So that's just to start out. This minority and majority status is changing, mm-hmm. but in any case, um, there there is a hierarchy. I listened to the 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 interview with um, the name. Yes, yep. And and I would agree with uh, many of the things she had to say. Um, Minorities are minorities, and kids always want to be like everybody else, so they will start behaving like what they think is the cool, the cool behavior to be, and they will start imitating, and um, and that plays out on the world stage. It plays out on a national stage, and it plays out on an international school stage. Um, so. You there 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 are hierarchies in the international school for sure. Yeah, right. Um, and some of the hierarchies might be based on language, uh, might be based on nationality, might be based on socioeconomics, and that's another thing that came out of my research is the socioeconomics of being an expat, because uh, there's a hierarchy in the expat community. You know, who's the highest? Who's got the nicest homes, and who gets the highest? salary and perks Mm -hmm. and it isn't the international school teachers kids you know the families right puts them under Um, another layer that it puts them under pressure sure because many times they're good friends with kids whose parents are working let's say in the corporate world and their sponsoring group offers them a lot more than uh, than their parents can afford, and that plays out in any school where you bring in um, two different socioeconomic groups under the same roof. That's difficult for kids because they see that their friends have everything, and they feel like the the poor uh, the poor cousin from across the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. Right. So that plays out in, in all over the world. Right, <laughs> all over the world, minorities um, have more challenges than majorities. Yeah. So let's step back and just look for our listeners here. Some of the things that I'm taking away from from your wisdom today is that one, when we think about the dynamics that are going at international schools what we're hearing from your research is that it's worth paying attention to because the parents who have their own kids at school are put into a multi-role dynamic that is hard to navigate and that people who are engaging with parent educators, right, are engaging in that interconnected web, whether we are aware of it or not. And it sounds like to me, it's important to raise that awareness so we don't put people in an uncomfortable position or we're better able to talk to our 
people from the role that we need to be speaking in, right? I'm hearing from you, trespassing is a danger and that what we can do when there's a trespassing of roles, whether it's as an educator, a colleague or a parent is to be transparent about which hat you're wearing. Um, Perfectly stated. And I'm excited. I'm excited (laughs) about this. (laughs) I'm excited about this too, because I think that, Ultimately, the kids benefit, right? When when the educators are under less pressure, when the parents are under less pressure, then people are able to better focus on what's the best thing for our kids. Absolutely. And for ourselves in this case, yes. because um, a, th- this, is, this is where the conflict comes in. The inner conflict is uh, for whose benefit uh, are we making a decision? Yes. And uh, and that gets blurry um, many times with this particular paradigm. Yep, that's wonderful. So thank you so much for your time. For people who want to know more, um, where can they go to find out more about you and the work that you do? Uh, certainly my website. And uh, if people are interested in this particular topic about uh, the children of international school educators, I'd encourage them to read my book. Uh, Many of the school libraries already have a copy of my book, but if not, I would encourage uh, the school to buy one or uh, get an individual copy. Um, The stories inside are not only for the educators, but in fact, the kids enjoy reading some of the anecdotes because they can identify with the voices of other ed kids. I love it. So I've gotten letters from the ed kids themselves uh, giving me tremendous feedback and encouragement and gratitude for for doing this research because uh, they see themselves in the um, on the pages of the book. I love that. So wonderful. And I know that's not the only book you've written. So, she, you know, if you're interested in this topic, definitely check out the website, which is in the show notes. You'll also discover that um, Etty is doing amazing things to raise awareness around um, culture and the impact of migration around Holocaust topics. So also very relevant from the international school setting in terms of curriculum. So you're doing wonderful things. Thank you so much for being part of Expat Happy Hour today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I've enjoyed it. And uh, I look forward to hearing comments from your listeners. Wonderful. So you've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I will share with you as our final quote, a poem that actually is in Etty's book called Wings and Roots. It is by Gail Schopert. We thought we couldn't give them roots. We gave them wings. The things that nurture children can be named, although they're not the same in every home. When you choose to roam outside your native land and you have children, be prepared for them to grow up special and grow up quick. Here is a word of hope. We have raised three children overseas, and I am proud of all the many things they've done because we gave them wings. And what I thought was a minus really was a plus. They had to find their roots in us. Um. <laughs>